You're listening to The Bible Says. You'll discover that many of the things you think the Bible says, it actually does not say. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. Good, everybody good? All right, all right, all right, all right. Hey, it is good to see each and every one of you today. I'm, I'm excited about being in God's house. I love coming to church. I don't know about you guys. It's always good to come. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, and I'm just one of the pastors here at Elevate Church, and I am glad that you are here. You can be in a lot of different places, but you're here, and I believe God's got something for each and every one of us. Well, we're in the middle of a series that we are titling, uh, The Bible Says, The Bible Says. And uh, as we get started uh, today, how many of you got kids? You got kids? Some people were real quick, you know, those are proud parents. Uh, other ones were like, yeah, you know, those are the ones whose kids are in the terrible twos, terrible threes, terrible tweens, terrible teens. You know, they're just terrible, you know what I'm saying? Just kidding. But uh, kids really are a blessing. Uh, I got three, ch- three children, three kids. I love them, uh, but they really are a blessing. But sometimes, you know, when we communicate with our kids, uh, they don't always get what we have said right. You might know what I'm talking about. Your kids don't always get what you've said uh, right. Several months ago, I was working at the house, and Sadie Kate, who would have been seven at the time, she comes up to me, and she's like, what are you doing, Daddy? And I'm like, well, baby, I'm, I'm working on the house. I'm working on the house. And she said, oh. And I said, well, what are you doing? And she said, nothing. And she said it all kind of sad, you know. And so we talked for a little bit. And I finally said, well, I thought you were hanging out with Mama thought you were hanging out with Mama. She said, oh, I, I can't hang out with Mama right, right now. I said, really? Why not? And she said, because Mommy is watching a bad movie. I said, huh, Mama's watching a bad movie in my mind. I was like, what's she talking about? I said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean Mama's watching a bad movie? And she says, well, she's watching an adult movie. And I said, now, I don't, again, I don't, know what, I don't know what pops into your mind. But... What popped into my mind wasn't good. And I was like, I'm watching an adult movie. I said, what are, you, are you sure Mama's watching an adult movie? She said, yeah, Daddy, it's bad. I, I'm not supposed to look at the screen, hear it, or anything like that. And I was like, I said, okay, Sadie, you stay right here. Let me go see what's going on, you know what I mean? And so I'm like kind of creeping up the hallway, you know, trying to see what Amanda's watching without her realizing I'm watching her watching what she's watching. Does that make sense, you know? And so I, I walk around the corner, man, and I'm, I'm shocked. Amanda is watching an adult movie, this show, this, this show that's called This Is Us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This Is Us, an adult, that's an adult movie. And y'all are thinking, what was the pastor's wife watching? Uh, apparently, Amanda had told Sadie Kate, you know, look, this is a show for grown-ups, uh, not for kids. And so it translated into Sadie Kate's mind, this was an adult uh, movie. And I really know what Amanda was trying to do. She was trying to actually watch an hour show in an hour's time, you know, uh, because the other day we had tried to watch a, a movie and it took us three nights to watch that one movie because our kids kept walking in there every five minutes because they needed our attention. Any parent, you know what I'm, I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, and so Sadie Kate was like, uh, Mama's watching an adult movie. So I thought about going to Sadie Kate and saying, hey, look, you might not want to say Amanda's, you know, Mama's watching an adult movie. I was going to say that, but then I thought that might open up a whole lot more questions that I would have to answer, and it'd be awkward. So I decided not to. But I am just going to say that if Sadie Kate tells you that uh, Mama was watching an adult movie, it doesn't mean what you think it means, okay? Uh, so just be, just be aware of uh, that. But sometimes, again, our kids don't quite get 
what we are saying. Sometimes other people don't quite get what we are saying. Sometimes we don't quite get what other people are saying as well, right? We do that with people. People do that with us. But we also do that with the Word of God. See, so many Christians and so many non-Christians alike, they misuse and they misquote uh, the Word of God. And so what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at some of the most common verses, some of the most common sayings that people say the Bible says, but in all actuality, the Bible really doesn't say what we think it says. And so as we start today, uh, let me kind of ask you this question, set it up like this. Uh, And I want you to be real honest, just raise your hand. How many of y'all would say if you had just a little bit more money, a little bit more money, life would be a little easier, life would be a little better? Anybody, a couple people, some of y'all raise your hand, some of you are like, I ain't getting set up, Uh uh-uh, you ain't about to do that to me. All right, well, so that leads me to one of the most misquoted verses Uh, in the Bible that we're going to talk about today. It's really a phrase people use all the time, and they'll say this phrase is this, money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. People say, man, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. Y'all ever heard somebody say that? Money is the root of all evil, but guess what? That's not really what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says at all. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, I want you to see uh, what the Bible says. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to Timothy, and look at what he says. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Uh, Paul doesn't say that the love of money is the root. He doesn't say money, first off, is the root of all evil. He says the love of money. And then he doesn't say it's the root of all evil. He says it's a root of all kinds of evil. Now, if I was to ask you to describe somebody who loves money, if I was to ask you to describe somebody who loves money, you would probably say, well, Robert, that's not me. Uh, I mean, certainly if somebody loves money, it's going to be somebody who's always talking about money, somebody who is just super uh, greedy, super stingy. It's somebody else, but it's not me. But have you ever wondered what God, how God might describe somebody who loves money? Have you ever wondered how God might describe somebody like that? Uh, Have you ever wondered if the Bible really talks about somebody who loves money? I have. And so this past week, I kind of did a little research and I was looking uh, to and from the Bible and I came across this, this verse in the Bible that really tells us what somebody who loves money looks like. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. Look what the Bible says. It says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. So do you see that? Whoever loves money is somebody who never has enough of it. And somebody who loves their wealth is somebody, again, who is never satisfied with their income. They think, if I can just have a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. See, I kind of I kind of set you up a little earlier when I said, hey, how many of y'all would say a little more money would make life easier, that would make life uh, better? But the truth of the matter is, when I look at this definition of somebody who loves money, this is what somebody who loves money looks like. I'm forced to kind of really look at my own spiritual position about this. And really, the reason why it, this hits home in my life is because I remember when Amanda and I first got married. Um, she was a college 
student working part-time, and I was working at a church, and I really wasn't making a whole lot of money at all, and I remember Amanda and I struggling. There would be uh, nights where we wanted pizza, you know, but we couldn't uh, afford pizza, so what we would do is we would get us a, a microwavable plate, and we would spread crackers on that plate, and then we would put sliced cheese on there and put it on, the, put it on there and put it in the microwave, and that was our pizza, you know. It wasn't delivery. It wasn't DiGiorno. We poro, you know. That's what it was. The struggle was real. And so Brianna Grace came along, and we still weren't really making a whole lot of money. In fact, we qualified for government assistance, and so we, we took it. We needed it to, to really get by. And I remember there were times where Amanda and I would have these conversations about money, and we would say that if we can ever make this much money, if we can ever make this amount of money, then we'll be set. We won't have to worry about anything else for life. Then one day... We had two kids, and suddenly we found ourselves making that much money. But mysteriously and just suddenly, that line kind of moved. And we said, hey, if we can just make this much money, if we can just make this much money, then we'll never have to worry about things again. So what's weird is that if you were to ask just about anyone, how much money do you need to be happy? How much money do you need to feel secure? How much money do you need to really just feel comfortable? Just about every person I know would respond by saying, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. But remember, whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Again, when we understand that that's what the love of money looks like then suddenly hearing first timothy 16 where it says for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil really hearing that begins to actually have to force us to take a closer look at our life than we might actually like to do so what i want to do today is what we've been doing in this entire series we've been diving into the context we've been looking at the context and so what that means is we want to know who wrote this who did they write it to why did they write it what's the big theme what's going on we want to know the context because it's important to know the context because if you take the text out of context all you're left with is a con that's all you're left with is a con so we want to know the context and so let me give you the context of this passage in first timothy Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy wrote several letters to churches, but he wrote two pastoral letters to two different people. He wrote pastoral letters to Timothy, and he wrote pastoral letters to a guy by the name of Titus. And Paul refers to Timothy and Titus as sons. Now, they weren't biological sons of his, but they were sons in the faith. And what that means is is that these were younger ministers, younger pastors, that Paul loved and appreciated, and he wanted to come alongside and encourage and kind of mentor them. So the books of 1 Timothy and Titus, they're, they're pretty personal letters. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, again, Paul is writing to Timothy. And I want us to get the context, so let's go back to verse 6 in that passage. Here's what the Bible says. It says, but godliness, everybody say godliness. That's right, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So let me stop for just a second. 
Because what we really could argue in all of these passages that are about to follow, in all these verses that are about to follow, the, 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 the purpose, the main theme is not actually money. The main theme is godliness. Godliness is God's goal for you. Godliness is God's goal for me. Godliness is God's goal for each and every one of us. And so Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Then look what he says in verse 7. He says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Now, now we know that in our minds. We know that in our minds, but it's really hard for our hearts to accept that, right? There's an old saying that says, man, I've never seen a, 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 a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Y'all ever heard that saying? Y'all ever heard that? I thought the same thing until I'd actually scrolled on Facebook and saw this picture right here. Check this out. Never saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul. I don't know what's going on in that picture, but I'll tell you one thing. That's got to be somebody who said, I told my family I wasn't leaving them nothing when I died, right? That's what's going on right there. I, I mean, for real, I heard about this man, this man that had worked hard all of his life, and he saved every dime he ever made. This man loved money more than anything uh, he ever had. And so just before he died, he called his wife in, and he said, hey, honey, Look, listen to me. When I die, I want you to take all my money and I want you to put it in a casket, in the casket with me because I'm taking it with me to the afterlife. I want you to promise me. And so the wife said, okay, honey, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Well, the man died. And on the day of the funeral ceremony, man, uh, uh, there she was sitting on the front row. And there he was stretched out in the, in the casket. And so just as the undertaker was about to come and close the casket, she said, wait just a second. She stands up with a shoebox, and she walks over to the casket, puts the shoebox in the casket, nods at the undertaker. He shuts the casket, locks the casket, rolls it away, and her best friend that was sitting with her on the front row couldn't believe what she saw. She said, man, I, I can't believe you did that. Did you really just put all, your, all his money in the casket with him? And she said, well, I'm a Christian, and I promised him I was going to do it, so I did it. I did it. I got all his money together, and I put it in the bank, and I wrote him a check. I figure if he can cash it, he can have it. You know what I'm saying? That's what some people are like. Right? I'm taking it with me. That's what people think. But again, what did Paul say? He said, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. Then he goes on in verse 8 to say something that's pretty, pretty profound. Here's what he says. He says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be, what? Content. With that, hold on, contentment, right? What is, what is contentment? It's great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We will be content with that. With what? He said, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Do you feel that way? As long as I got food and clothing, I'll be content. Do I feel that way? Is that really how we feel? As long as we've got food and clothing, we'll be content with that? Or is it... If we have food and clothing and the newest iPhone and the 85-inch flat-screen television on the wall that they're selling at Sam's right now, and if we have that new truck, and if we have granite countertops, then we'll be content. Are we always looking for something else? Or is, if we have food and clothing, could we be content with that See, one of the things that Paul is trying to teach us is that the richest people in this world aren't the ones who have the most. The richest people in this world are the ones who need the least. 
The richest people in this world aren't the ones who have the most. The richest people in this world are the ones who need the least. In fact, if you go to a lot of the other parts of this world, you'll see countless other people who have much less, 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 less than we have. They'll have so much less than we have that it will actually disturb us. Yet, if you spend a lot of time talking with them, it will appear that they have so much more than we do. It's wild. They'll have dirt floors. They won't have hot water. They'll have no electricity. They don't have toilets. They're missing all the things that you and I tend to take for granted in our life, yet they have joy, and they've got peace, and they've got assurance, and they've got contentment. Contentment. Again, the richest people in the world are not the ones who have the most. The richest people in the world are the ones who need the least. And so here's what I want you to understand. I want you to hear this and I want you to let it sink in because it really will change something for you if you'll understand it. Here's what I want you to understand. Discontentment can make a rich person poor. But contentment can make a poor person rich. Did you hear that? Discontentment can make a rich person poor. But contentment can make a poor person rich. Paul is saying, we brought nothing into this world and we're going to take nothing out of it. We need to recognize that if we have food and clothing and our basic needs, that we should be able to be content with that. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. He goes on to say in verse 9, check this, check this out. In verse 9 he says, those who want to get rich. Those who say, man, I got to win that Powerball. <laughs> I got to win that lottery. My boy 50 said, get rich or die trying. You know what I'm saying? Those who want to get rich, what happens to them? They fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And this is our verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Deep, deep. Now don't raise your hand. But I wonder how many of you know somebody like that who was chasing money. And because they chased money, they ended up walking away from God. Maybe they chased money and they loved money so much that it really ruined a relationship that they had, a friendship that they had. Maybe, maybe somebody you were related to, they died, and after, after they died, there was this big argument over their estate, and now there are so many people who just aren't talking to one another, again, because they loved money. I've seen husbands walk away from their wives because they got to chase that paper. They'll put it on Facebook. Man, it makes me want to punch them in the face in Jesus' name, Right? But they just love money. And I want you to see that the love of money can be a root of all types of evil. So when we hear all this, it might seem like money is a bad thing. But money money's not a bad thing. But the love of money is more dangerous than you and I will ever realize. Maybe that's why Jesus said what he said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. Look at what he said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus says this. He says, you cannot serve both God and what? You cannot serve both God and money. He didn't say you cannot serve both God and power. 
He didn't say you cannot serve both God and popularity. He didn't say you cannot serve God and whatever. He said you cannot serve both God and money. I wonder why Jesus was so specific when it comes to this idea or this concept of money. Why? Maybe it's because Jesus knew that the number one competitor for so many of our heart was going to be money. Maybe because Jesus knew that money will be the very thing that will distract so many of us from living the life that God really wants us to live. Maybe he understood that. Well, so in verse 17 of our main passage, I want you to see what he goes on to say. Paul gets up in our business. Man, he does. Look what he says. He says, verse 17, he says, command. Command who? Those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in who? God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, for years, I would just read over that passage. I would just read over that passage because I didn't see myself as somebody who was rich in this present world. Rich is somebody else. I mean, rich is up here, and I'm, I'm way down here. That's, that's really, really what I thought. But truthfully, when you look at what Paul is saying in a global context, when you look at what Paul is saying and think about what he said, hey, command those who are rich where in this present world. This present world, I don't know about you, but the average person in this room today, you have hundreds of dollars worth of technology in your pocket right now. How many of y'all got a cell phone? Raise your hand. I ain't trying to make you feel bad. I got one too. But do you know that this device is valued at exactly what, it would call, what some people make in an entire year? And it's just sitting in our pockets. If you've got a smartphone you're probably kind of rich. You're probably kind of rich. So most of the people in this room, you have access to some form of transportation. Anybody got access to some form of transportation? How many of you got a car? You own a car? If you own a car, you are in the world's top 9% of wealthiest people. If you're in the top 10, if you, if you got a car, and what's crazy is that so many of us in this room will walk out of this church today and we'll drive by five, six, seven different restaurants and we'll finally decide where we're going to stop and eat because our wife takes forever. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So you'll finally decide where you're going to stop and eat and you'll go in there and you'll look at the menu and there'll be so many options and you just can't decide what you want. So you'll think about it for a while and then you'll finally make your decision. Someone else in the kitchen will make something for you and then someone else will bring it to your table. You know what I mean? And then we'll complain because it took 15 minutes to get it. You might know what I'm talking about. That's, that's really what we do. Then we'll leave. We'll get back in our car as the top 9% of wealthiest people in the world. We'll get in our car and we'll drive our car to our car's own home. It's called a carport or a garage. You know what I mean? Our cars have shelter. It, anybody me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all like, I ain't got one of them. Y'all line up in church, man. Our cars have their own houses. Then we'll walk into a climate-controlled building where if it's hot outside, you know what we'll do? We'll turn the air conditioning on. If it's cold outside, you know what we'll do? We'll turn the heat on. Think about this. We actually have a toilet. That means when you pee or go number two, 
and you flush it, you don't have to see it again. You don't ever have to deal with it again. You don't have to deal with it. There's so many people who do not have that luxury. We watch flat panels, flat screens on our walls. We stream movies. Then in the morning when we wake up, we'll walk into our closets, and in our closets there'll be all these clothes, and we'll touch them with our hands, and we'll look at them and say, man, I just can't, I don't have anything to wear. We are rich. We really are. We are rich. We don't deserve that. We are blessed. You know, many of us, we were just, you know why we have that? Because we were born here. We were born here. We could have been born anywhere else in this world, but we were born here. We are blessed. Yet people in America will say, I need more. I need more. I need more. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Discontentment makes rich people poor. Contentment makes poor people rich. Man, we got to get this. It will change our life. Look at verse 17 again. It says, command those who are rich in this present world, you, me, tell the person sitting next to you, it means them too. Some of y'all quiet in this Presbyterian church today. Here we go. Command those who are rich in this present world. Command them not to be arrogant, to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope where? In God. Put, don't put your hope in money. Don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Why is it that all too often we put our hope in money? Why is it that all too often we, we put our hope in things and we say, man, if I just had a little more, a little more, life would be easier. Life would be better. Man, we'll say that without hesitation. Our problem is we believe that money will give us what only God can provide. That's our problem. See, money promises happiness. The problem is we always need a little more, a little more to be happy. Money promises happiness. Money promises security. Man, if I can finally get the car paid off, if I can finally get the credit card paid off, I'll be able to save and I'll be able to acquire more money and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be more secure. Money promises happiness. It promises security, but it also promises significance. If I got enough, if I got enough, I'll be all that, right? Right? The great theologian Ariana Grande said, you like my hair? Gee, thanks. I just got it, right? I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. That's what she said. If I can just get a little bit more, people will think that I am somebody. Provides us with this thought of significance. But again, money promises only things that God, only, only, only God can provide. And so when we really think that we need more money to be happy and more money to be satisfied and more money to feel secure, you, you need to understand that you're, you're being deceived. You're under the power and influence of money. Money will not meet your deepest needs. Only Jesus Christ will. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all responding. Money will not meet your deepest need. Only Jesus Christ will. We don't need more things. We don't need more money. We need more Jesus. You need to know, Jesus isn't going to keep your, I mean, money's not going to keep your kids off of drugs. Only Jesus will keep your kids off of drugs. More money's not going to make your spouse love you more. Only Jesus is going to make your spouse love you more. More money is not going to make you worry less. Only Jesus can take those things out of your life. We don't need more money. We need more Jesus. 
And here's what's wild. When you don't have a lot of Jesus, money looks really, really, really good. But when you got a lot of Jesus, when you got a lot of Jesus, you can be content with what you have because godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm here to tell you right now, some of you are searching for something and you're chasing something that will never satisfy you. You'll never have enough. You'll never have enough. What you need in your life is more Jesus. More Jesus, more of His grace, more of His power in your life, more of His peace, more of His assurance, more of His presence. He wants you to, to, He wants to be your everything. He really is your sustainer. He is the bread of life. He is the life giver and the rock and the provider. He's our healer. He is our assurance. And suddenly, when you have more of Him, when Him is all that you want, Suddenly, when he's all that you are desiring, it's amazing that oftentimes he gives you more of the other stuff that you're not even asking for. It's amazing. When you crave him above all else, he usually gives you a lot of everything else. That's what happens. But the good news is when you crave him above all things, you might have other things, but those things won't have you. Those things won't have you. Because look at what verse 18 says. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. He says, command them, we just read, command who? The rich people, us, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. What do you say? Do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. Be generous and willing to share. And then look what he says in verse 19. It's amazing. He says, In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So why do we do that? Why do we, why do we give? Why do we do good? Why do we do all these things? Why? So that we can take hold of the life that is truly life. So that you can take hold of the life that you're truly searching for. So that you can take hold of the life that will truly satisfy. Command them to do good. Be rich in good deeds. To be generous and willing to share. Paul says if you do that, if you do that, you'll be living the life that you really hoped for. But be careful because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. See, I'm wrapping up. But let me tell you my journey with this, okay? I grew up poor. My mom's here. My mom worked two jobs just to take care of me, to take care of my sister, and to take care of my granny who lived with us. She was usually at her first job when I woke up to get ready for school, and then she'd come home a little after lunch, take a little nap, and then she was gone usually by the time I got out of school, and she worked till late at night. So I remember thinking just growing up because we didn't have a whole lot I remember thinking man when I when I grow up I'm gonna make all kinds of money I'm gonna make all kinds of money and I'm gonna be happy things are gonna be great and so I grew up pretty selfish I was greedy and I loved money well I got saved and I gave my heart to Christ 
And I remember going to church and I remember hearing a message from a pastor about tithing. I'd never heard of tithing, uh, but the preacher was up there preaching and talking about tithing. And he took God's word and he, he, he talked about how uh, we're supposed to tithe to the local church. And uh, I'm listening to this preacher talk. And I'm thinking, man, that preacher's just trying to get money. And not just get money, he's trying to get my money. That's really, what I, that's, really what I, that's really what I thought. And so he took the Bible and he showed us how the tithing to the church really was biblical and how Jesus confirms tithing in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Jesus says, yes, you should tithe without neglecting uh, all the other things as well. But I remember listening as that preacher said, tithing meant giving 10% of your income to the church. So that meant if you made 10 bucks, you know how much you gave to the church, you gave a dollar to the church. And a dollar didn't really seem like a whole lot of money. Uh, I could give a dollar. Anybody could give a dollar. It's really what I thought. But I was making $150 a week in high school. I was working full-time myself. I worked at a pizza restaurant, and I was making $4.25 an hour. $4.25 an hour. And so giving a dollar, again, every week at church wasn't hard, but giving 15 bucks a week. $15 a week, that seemed like an awful lot to me. In fact, that was $780 a year. And again, I don't know how you feel, but in 1998, to some kid who grew up poor, some kid who was selfish, some kid who, you know, really loved money, $780 was a lot of money. And so I didn't want to give it to God, and so guess what? I didn't. I didn't give it to God. I love God, but I love money more than I love God. And so what's wild is I struggled all the time. It was hard for me to pay my, my car note. It was hard for me to pay my insurance. It was hard for me to pay for my cell phone. It was hard for me to just, you know, pay, take care of the things that I was supposed to take care of. I just, I just struggled. And what's wild is I had 780 additional dollars in my wallet every year, and I still just couldn't, couldn't do it. So I struggled, and I heard another message on tithing uh, and how God's Word says in Malachi that if you are not tithing, you're actually stealing from God. And he says actually also that if you know, you're stealing from God and you're not tithing, that you're actually cursed. Your finances are cursed. I want you to see this. Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Here's what the Bible says. Y'all stay with me. He says, this is God speaking. And he says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. And so you ask, how are you robbing me? Bring the whole tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So I remember listening to the preacher go through this verse, these verses, and I thought, well, I'm not a farmer. I don't grow crops. I don't have to worry about pests devouring my crops. I don't have to worry about fruit falling before it's too ripe. I don't do that. I just go to Walmart and get me some orange juice. I don't do all that. That's what I thought. I didn't do that. I, I just thought it's not for me. But I had this car. I had a Pontiac Grand Prix. 
1997, Pontiac Grand Prix GTP. I can't tell y'all how beautiful it was. Whew. It was black, with black leather interior. It was sitting on them things, had them chrome wheels. Supercharged, heads up display, heated seats. Oh, it was nice. It was nice. But it was always in the shop. It was always broke down. And I had this moment where I realized, hey, I might not have crops that the pests are devouring. Something keeps messing up my car. And I had this moment where I realized it's because I'm cursed. So I remember as a teenager having a conversation with my youth pastor about tithing. And my youth pastor's kind of look at me, looking at me shocked because, I mean, what teenagers going to their youth pastor and, hey, man, God's been on me about tithing. And so, you know, I tell him, and we go and tell the senior pastor, and you know what? I started tithing. It was one of my first steps away from greed and selfishness that I took. It was one of the first steps away from the love of money that I made. I started tithing, and you know what? After I made that decision, I don't ever remember that car being back in the shop. I don't. I tried to think about it all week. And I don't ever remember it going back in the shop. God prevented my alternators from going out. God prevented that battery from dying down. God prevented my belts from rotting out. God prevented my AC from messing up. He did, he, he, he did all those things. I was amazed at what happened when I finally trusted God with his tithe. I was amazed at how things just worked themselves out. I was amazed at how much further God could take, make 90% of my income go than I could make 100% of my income go. So I started tithing as a teen. And ever since then, ever since I was a teen, tithing has been a way of life for me. And I've never gone without. I may not always have everything that I want, but I can assure you, I have all that I need. And godliness with contentment is great gain. Tithing helped me put my hope in God, not money. Where are you putting your hope today? Is it in God? Because that's where we're commanded to put our hope. Not in our wealth. Not in our money. We put our hope in God. So do you tithe? Do you give? Are you generous? If something inside of you right now says, I don't have to do that. That's not, that's not really important. If something inside of you says, well, if I do that, I won't have enough. He who loves money never has enough. And he who loves wealth never satisfied with their income and so I just want to remind you what 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 says it says those the ones who love money love, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs who do you love today do you love God do you love money let's pray together Father, today, forgive me for the times in my life where I still try to put my trust 
and my hope in money. Father, I realize that in an instant, everything I have could be gone. But if I have you, if I have you, I know that I will have everything that I need. So I just pray for each person in this room as they think about what they're chasing, even some of the teens, some of the kids in this room, as they think about what they're chasing, Father, I pray that they will chase you with so much more intensity than they chase the things of this world. Father, I just pray that you would help each and every one of us not to love money because it's so uncertain. Father, help us put our hope in you. We're going to continue to pray. But maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. Maybe you're here today and you've been putting your hope in money. You've been putting your hope in you. You've been saying, I can take care of myself. And everything just seems to constantly be messed up. And you'd say today, really the first step away from that that I need to make is to give my heart and my life to Christ. And if you'd say today, hey, I want to surrender to him. I want to be born again. I'm going to ask that right where you are, you pray this prayer. Father, today forgive me for all of my sins. I pray, Father, that you would mold me into a new creation. That I would realize that the old has gone away and that the new has come. Father, I would recognize that I am your child. And as long as I seek you, above all and before all, You'll take care of my needs. I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can be who you want me to be. Thank you for saving me. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. But I wonder today, if there's anybody here who prayed to receive Jesus, if you'd do me a favor, if you'd just lift your hand and say, hey, you know what, today I surrendered my life. Today I gave my heart to Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for new life. I thank you for people surrendering to you. Father, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to take up our cross daily and follow you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for being better to us than we deserve. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name.